Kia ora koutou, um, ako Dan toko ingoa. Hello everyone, my name is Dan, it is nice to be with you all this morning. Nice to see you all, so many faces, it's great. Welcome to church, welcome to our gathering. Um, we are currently doing a series called Heart Talks, and this is week four, and we are going to do one more week next week. Um, for those of you who were here last week, you know Vivek was meant to speak last week. Uh, he got COVID on Friday. Uh, I frantically wrote the talk that was meant to be this week, last week, and did that last week, and this is the talk that was meant to be next week, this week, and Vivek's talk from last week will be next week. You with me? Yeah, thank you, Jesse. I could do a diagram for that if you want, sure. Um, has this got one of those laser pointers? I could do a little, nah. Well, what this, what this series is all about and what we're trying to do here is just for these last few weeks, we've been trying to share our hearts just as pastors. Um, so for those of you who are visiting today or, or don't know who that, that pastoral team looks like, uh, that's myself. Uh, as I said, my name is Dan. Um, Alicia, Alicia shared a couple of weeks ago, her talk was called Redeeming Our Stories and it was just, there's a few nodding, there's a few nodding heads around the room, like that was a good one, Leash. Um, I spoke a few weeks ago on a talk called Centered on Jesus, the fact that Central Vineyard has been named to remind us that we're centered on Jesus, that's, that's our name, Central Vineyard means centered on Jesus. Last week um, I did a talk um, called Returning to the Way, which is kind of part two. So if we're centered on Jesus, then we should be following his way. And um, Vivek will do his talk next week. I'll leave him to tell you what he's going to talk about. Um, Vivek leads our New Lynn gathering um, out at New Lynn. And this week, what I want to talk about is, uh, I've, talked, I've titled today, Aiming for the Future. And it's kind of part three. So all that to say, if you've missed my last two talks, Centered on Jesus and returning to the way of Jesus. Uh, this is part three. It's kind of been building. And so if you want to check out those other two parts that are on our podcast, we'd love you to do so. This is part three. It should stand alone today. It should be, you know, hopefully it's got some stuff here that's encouraging and, and helpful. But just so you know, it's part of like a three-part piece. Um, and then in two weeks' time, so not this next Sunday coming, but the next Sunday, we're going to start a new series. But wait, stay tuned and we'll tell you a little bit more about that. In, um, in coming weeks. It's going to be good. I think everyone's calmed down, everyone's got their coffee, and I've done enough padding. So, with that, here to stand. And today we're going to read from Mark chapter 1, just a short reading today. Um, but uh, Michelle is going to read our scriptures today. So, uh, First in Te Reo Māori, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Nā, e muri i a hōne i tūkua, ai ki te herehere. Ka haere a ihu ki kariri. Ka kofau i te rongopai o te atua. Ka mia, kua riti tinei te wā. Kua tata hoki te rangatiratanga o te atua. Ripeinita, whakapono hia te rongopai. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for us today. 
Can I teach you a little response there? We're going to say, praise be to God. Grab a seat. I'm slowly building this up piece by piece by piece for those of you who have been around a while. You're like, we're starting to say a lot more things together. It's called liturgy. It's good for us, people. All right. Thank you, Michelle. That scripture had a phrase in it. Time is up, declared Jesus. Time is up. The old age is done and a new age is starting. Time is up. This, this statement should jolt us like the piercing of a referee's whistle signifying half time during a sports game. Time is up. This declaration should make us ask, what, what's up? What, why has it changed? What's next? Um, the Bible is the story of God and his work in creation, and every story sits in time. We have time as a line, past, present, and future, so therefore we have a timeline. We have time as a method of measure. We have split seconds, seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, years. We have time as an epoch. We have seasons. We have spans. We have ages. Um, Time that goes indefinitely backwards and forwards is eternal time. And time that goes from a creation to an end is limited time. The Bible is a book in time and of time. It's full of events that sit in and speak of time. All of those things I've just mentioned. You know, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, says says God in Revelation. This is a time statement. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. This is a time statement. In the beginning, first words of the Bible, it's a time statement. It's in a book called Genesis, which is the beginning, the origin. That's a time statement. Or Jesus' final words to his disciples, it's not for you to know the time and the dates, he said to them. It's a time statement. John's repeated phrase throughout over and over again in the book of Revelation, and then I saw, and then I saw, and then I saw. It's a time statement speaking of something of the future. And in our reading today from Michelle, the words of Jesus, time is up. It's a time statement. The Bible is a story of time. It's a story of ages. The present age, the future age. And it's full of characters and it's full of events that are both a mix of eternal and a mix of things that are limited. So if time is such a crucial part of the scriptures, and it is, well then time must become more important to us as Christians. So today I want to ask a big question. And the big question is this, how do we handle time? You know, most of us just see it as a resource, don't we? You know, I'll, I'll charge you for my time. I wish I had more time. I can't, sorry, I don't have enough time. Oh, we speak about our time somewhere. I loved my time there. I loved my time at the Marlborough Sounds or wherever it was that you went to. I loved my time there. Or... or 
that was such a waste of time. I misspent my time. I misused the resource of time in that situation. So time, we, we use it, we steward it, we charge for it, we waste it. <laughs> but time itself, it's not ours. You know, we, we cannot actually control it. We are limited within it as people of the present moment. And even just like that last breath you took is now history. And that one. And that one. Am I freaking you out a little bit yet? <laughs> and that one. Just because we sit in time like we do, though, that does not mean that we, can't, we cannot reach for the future. You know, most human beings know this, don't they? That we can set goals for future time, even though we haven't got there yet. So we're not the master of the time, but we can imagine ourselves forward of what we'd like to be or what we'd like to do or who we'd like to be. And we can aim for what we see. You know, so we make life plans, don't we? I want to be this in one year. I definitely want to have bigger arms, bigger shoulders, so therefore I'm going to do 30 press-ups every morning. We can imagine something, so we enact it. We have five-year plans. Well, in five years, I want to have traveled. Five years, I want to have done this. Five years, I want to have a house. Like, these are five-year plans, future plans. In 10-year plans, we have all these ideals of the kind of person we want to be in a, in a, in a moment of time that we have not yet got to. But again, we, we don't control the time, do we? We can't handle it, make it faster, can't speed it up. We are not the masters of it. We are the limited ones within it. And so we get frustrated, don't we, when the goals we have are not eventuating. We get impatient when they're not arriving into our midst quickly enough. And we get disappointed when something comes along and derails our plan, taking it off course, veering us away from the thing we'd like to be, but now that that's happened, we can't. You know, the Hebrew people, the people of our scriptures, they knew that they were not the masters of time. And they freed themselves from the burdens that I've just spoke about. You know, in Psalm 90, verse 2, we find beautiful prayers like this one. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Note the time elements of the psalm. Before created time, before limited time, you, you are eternal God. Uh, psalm 145, for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Everlasting. Everlasting. It's stretching outside of the confines of time that we find ourselves in now. And you rule throughout all generations. Generations are segments of time that we see lived today. Family structures, family moments bound up. And the Lord always keeps his promises. 
He is gracious in all he does. Psalm 31, 14 to 15. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, you are my God. My future is in your hands. I think we do a lot of making our own futures. But yet the psalmists are saying, no, 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 no. My future is in his hands. They understood the ages before them and the ages after them. And they understood this. Those ages were not theirs. They were God's. Which brings me to saying a few things about these ages. Um, Because in history speak, we know that there has been various ages of time, don't we? You know, we've had the Iron Age, we've had the Bronze Age, we've had the Middle Ages, we've had um, the Age of the Enlightenment. Uh, What's today? Um, The Digital Age. These are ages of history. These are large epoch containers of certain events and moments and, and, and ideas in the world. And the Bible is a story of some key ages. So just to explain this a little bit, I want to refer to a German theologian called Oskar Kuhlmann. He wrote a book called Christ and Time, The Primitive Christian Conception of Time and History. Um, Don't take a photo of this one and don't add it to your reading list. It's not an easy read. It's written in German. It's translated pretty clunkily. It's not fun to read at all. Um, And I only read it because I had to, because of a global theological cohort that I'm part of. I was forced to read it, um, and I had to. Um, But the reason why this book is important, and the reason I'm showing this to you today, is because when Oscar Kuhlman put this out in 1950, it actually became the groundwork for another very important book of a theologian, some of you might recognize a bit easier, of a guy called George Alden Ladd who developed the kingdom theology of now and not yet. He developed the theology of inaugurated eschatology. Is, is that ringing a bell for some people? Or are people sort of a little bit more... For, is, sorry, is that ringing a bell with some people? Yes, there's some people who are like, yeah, okay, I get that. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about today, Dan, since we did the scripture reading. You've lost me back then, but I'm with some of you. That's good. Now, why is this important? This is important because... Everything that George Alden Ladd developed around his concept to say, we live in the now and not yet of the kingdom of God, all of it started with the work that Kuhlman did back in 1950 in this book called Christ and Time. So I want to pull out a couple of points for you, and then I'm going to show you a picture at the end because it'll make it all make sense. All right. So Kuhlman says this. He says, the Jewish or biblical concepts of time differs to the Hellenistic or the philosophical concepts. And there's two major differences. So here's what they are. Firstly, the Jewish concept of time is linear. Oh, that didn't click. Let me go again. There we go. The Jewish concept of time is linear. It had a beginning, it had a present age, and it has an end. And the end is called the eschatological drama. Ooh, that's a good phrase. The eschatological drama. And an end which in itself is a future age. And this timeline of the future age being enacted through what Christ started in this present age is the story of God enacting redemption through time in a timeline. Now this differs to the Greek philosophical view because the Greeks and philosophical concept of time is not linear. Instead, it's cyclical. It goes around. 
Uh, Kuhlman says, it's a closed loop that keeps grinding away. No one has nothing to look forward to that is different from previous experience. You know, for those of you who did philosophy at uni, you know, I'm talking about this sort of platonic thing of it. It just goes round. There's no existence outside of this. Around we go. So the philosophers thought that the human goal was to leave the circle of time and go into timelessness. But the Jewish and biblical thought is that this age to come at the end becomes the telos, it becomes a goal, it becomes a purpose to aim for, it becomes a finish line to existence, and it is when God comes to his people. So we are part of the drama of this timeline, now in our present age, thanks to what Christ has enacted as the midway event between creation and consummation. But also there's a diagram coming, don't worry, Uh, but also through what our telos shows us, Kuhlman says we are people of this linear line aimed at that finish. Here's a little diagram just to help you make a bit more sense of it. We have created age, we have new creation. New creation is revelation, you know, when Christ comes to be with his people, bring his new Jerusalem to earth, that all will be well again. As the Isaiah prophecies pointed to, there'll be no more mourning or sickness or death or tears on any cheeks because there'll be no need for that because everything will be right again. And what's happened here is throughout, and we start on the created age on this side, that is creation, the sense that God made everything perfect and well and in shalom, but of course the fall disrupted that, it took it off course. And so what we have here is a timeline of God's redemptive work throughout history. And it starts with mankind. It starts with this original commissioning to, to, to be um, the people who are the image bearers of God into the world and to work it well and to steward it well. And then when that falls over, it then gets given to Israel that they will be blessed to be a blessing. They'll be the covenant people with God to bring this into existence. But of course, Israel just keeps stuffing up over and over again. And within Israel, there's this remnant of, of those who are living faithfully to that first call. And then we wait and we wait until Christ arrives, the, the suffering servant who comes to then actually enact redemption once and for all in a beautiful way through his, his, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. And then from out of that, Christ then actually gives away the job to the apostles and the apostles start to get busy doing this redemptive work in their history. And from the apostles, the rest of the church and from the rest of the church, it spreads out missionally to the rest of mankind to the end of new creation. That's what it means by consummation. Everything is made right again, but it's in a whole new way. It's not a circle back on itself. It's a whole new existence of shalom. And as you can see here, this diagram reminds us of the scripture that, I read, uh, that Michelle read earlier. Christ said, time's up. Time's up. Time's up. A new thing is starting. And hence those angles of those lines there, those big lines. It's just saying that age is drawn to a close and a new age has begun. The Bible is a book in time of time and about time. It matters that you're sitting here today in time, sitting at our point. We are here. We are the church. Now, I don't mean that in an egotistical way, like we're the church and the rest aren't. I don't mean it that way. I mean, we are the church, the body of Christ, along with the rest of the body of Christ around the world, part of history being the hands and feet, the redemptive people of God into our city and serving those around us, being the people of the covenant, being people with God 
enjoying him, serving him. We are those people living into history, living into this timeline towards the final work that God is doing of making all things new. Time is up. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. That was our scripture today. All right, time for getting out of the geek zone and uh, doing some, um, some, some nicer stuff. So why this whole thing on time, Dan? Why that today? Why is this a heart talk? Like, why does that matter, what you've just talked about for 10 minutes? You've just wasted 10 minutes of my time. Why a heart talk? Um, there's a academic and an author called Scott McKnight. And he did this book called Pastor Paul. And in it, he um, explores the New Testament scriptures of Paul's writings to find out what kind of pastor was Paul? What was his vision of pastoring? What was it all about for him? And in it, McKnight, basically his summary, his thesis is this. The pastor is called to nurture a culture of Christiformity. The pastor is called to nurture a culture of Christiformity. This is a heart talk today because I think a whole heap of people don't know what it is that pastors do. I'm not saying a whole heap of people in this church. I'm saying a whole heap of people. When we say that we pastor, I don't think what comes to mind into people's imaginations in that moment is this. I think what comes to people's minds is you provide a service for me. You put on a good show. You rally the troops. You speak well. Or you don't speak well. You have a lot of coffees with people. And we only have to look at what's going on in the current media to think about how people are thinking about pastors as well too, right? So the reason this is a heart talk today is because, as McKnight goes on to say, he says... Paul put it in Galatians 4 verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Or in Romans 8 verse 29, Paul describes Christ's deformity as God's own goal. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In assessing St. Paul's pastoring in the New Testament, McKnight's conclusion is that the job title for a pastor is to labor for a future you. Is this making sense? Paul labored that Christ would be formed. Christ isn't formed in most of us. We're broken and messy. We're failing all the time. Reality check. 
But we get out of bed for the sense that something in the future says, but he is going to be formed in us by making all things new. Let's head towards that picture. The future goal of your life, a goal in the future that that you would be fully formed into the likeness of Christ. This is our telos. This is our end goal. People in churches all over the world walking towards being people who are experiencing God's renewal in their lives richly and living fully formed as Christ-like and faithful people. And so as pastors, you know, we get up every day to strive towards that telos, to strive towards that end goal. This is why it's a heart talk today. This is why I get out of bed. This is why. It's to see Christ formed in you bit by bit, day by day, gathering by gathering, communion cup by communion cup, song by song, scripture reading by scripture reading, prayer by prayer, coming forward for prayer, staying awkwardly in the seats. Coming forward, I don't want to repeat that one. Um, it's, it's, it's about bit by bit by bit by bit, gathering in circles, having conversations, having coffees, talking face-to-face, emails backwards and forwards, lots of messages, all of that stuff. It's all for this end goal. It's all to see you fully formed into the likeness of Christ. We get up every day to experience God's shalom a little more, taste a little more, get it a little more in our midst, bit by bit, day by day. And it's to that end that the whole of the New Testament is aiming and Paul is trying to usher his churches saying, this is what I labor for. And it's to that end that I want to say today, very, very clearly, very clearly, that it's what myself and my wife Gab, and it's what Leash and Rob and Vivek and all the other people who make up the pastoral team and the staff team in this church, this is what we get up for. This is what we want to do. It's the most dearest thing in our hearts is to see us formed. You know, we, we, we look at you and we look at each other, we look around and we just say those beautiful words from Thessalonians, so Christ is faithful to complete what he has started. Let's keep going. A little bit more, a little bit more. And as I said a few weeks ago, I get my pom-poms out and cheer you on. Let's go, another step. I saw that little change there, beautiful. Redemption enacted, let's keep going. And so today I just want to clearly say, you know, this, this is the heart, the deepest thing in my being. In the midst of a very ugly season to be called a pastor, this is why we do what we do. We believe in a future you that you probably don't even see yourself. But yet through being in the scriptures and being amongst all the things of God, the sacraments in the church, I can see it, I can taste it, and I desire it, and I labor for it. Christ fully formed in you. Christ fully formed in us. And so today, I want to share some simple pastoral words with you to close around this idea. So the time thing, done. The heart thing, done. What does it mean for you? Here's some pastoral words today. I have a few things I want to say. Firstly, I want to implore you today. I want to encourage you today. I want to stand right off the back of Jesus' words and I want to just echo it throughout the ages and say this. We need to turn to that telos. I said four weeks ago, if we aren't centered on Jesus, we'll find something else to center on. 
I said last week about the way of Jesus, I said if we are on that way, it will take us towards him. If we're on a different way, it will take us somewhere else. And today I just want to echo again Mark 1 verse 15. Repent. Repent is not some scary, horrific, like emotional sort of let's dial it all up. It's not that. It just means to turn. 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 Turn to the telos. So if you're on the timeline of time, if you're walking the journey, well, then what way are you aiming? And my, 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 my exhortation today would be, are you facing towards the glorious redemptive work of Christ at the end of time for you and for all of the world? Or are you facing towards something else? Jesus' words are, turn, 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 turn towards this ending. Head towards it. And if you're like, I still don't quite get what this ending is, Dan. Well, that's part two. My second thing would be seek an understanding of that talos. Come to understand it. Come on, do some mahi. Discover it. It's the great hope of the Christian faith. And so to help you, I've created a little recommended reading list. Firstly, this book on the left is called Reading Revelation Responsibly. It's a fantastic book. If you're asking some big questions about, well, what is the end? What is the talos? What is this thing that this is all heading towards? I would suggest that this is a terrific book to pick up. How do we handle the book of Revelation? How do we ask the best questions of it? How do we not let it do what it's not trying to do? How do we actually treat it with honor and integrity for the text that it is? Really good book by Michael J. Gorman. Uh, the subline of that is following the lamb into the new creation. New creation is the subline of all of what we think about was the end of the talos there. Um, it is a terrific book. So if you want to geek out a little bit, you want to think a bit about Revelation, pick that book up. In the middle is the book that saved my faith. Um, I read Surprised by Hope probably about 14 or 15 years ago when I was going through a very deep faith crisis and it literally put me back on the rails because this is my little story. I knew what faith was. I've grown up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I know what faith is. I can tell you all about it. I know what love is. I know what it is to be in a community that's loving and I know what it is to be people of love into the world, experienced it richly, know it well. But I had a really, really, really messed up view of the Christian hope. I didn't know what hope was. And if Jesus, uh, sorry, if Paul says it's faith, hope, and love, we've got one of the three things that we've got to wrestle with there, faith, hope, and love. And so what is hope? What actually is it? Is it just wishful thinking? Or is it faith in God's future? And that's what it is. It's faith in God's future. So you need to know God's future. You need to know what it is. And so surprised by hope is rethinking heaven, the resurrection, and the mission of the church by Tom Wright. It's a bit of a grind, a little bit of a grind. For those of you who have read it, you'll know what I mean. It's, it's, it's not an easy, easy read, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay read. Now, if you, if you want an easier read, so um, if Surprised by Hope might be daunting, then over on the right-hand side is Pete Hughes, who's the pastor of KXC over in London. Some of you actually have served in that church and been in that church and visited that church, so you'll know who Pete is. Pete put out this terrific book, All Things New, the subline, Joining God's Story of Recreation. And I would say All Things New is kind of like a simpler version of those other two books put together. And so it would be a really great place to start. Grab that on Kindle, check it out. Uh, Pete's book is brilliant. And annoyingly, um, it's the book I wanted to write, and now I can't because he's already written it. So back to the drawing board for me. Uh, sad story. Right, those are the three books that I would highly recommend reading if you want to understand the talos of the Christian faith, the end story, a little bit better. My third pastoral word would be this. We are called to train for that talos. 
So it's not just about turning and it's not just about understanding. It's then about putting our lives into a full body workout towards that telos. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is saying this is a life lived in this formation towards this picture. It involves all of our lives practicing this talos. So train for it. Train for it. Realize that every little taste of the new creation now is us training for it. It's this beautiful picture enacted as we do so. Um, Which brings me to this next bit. Seek to be faithful to that talos. I love this next little scripture. Sorry, no, actually, it's not this one yet. Um, There's a little teaser for you. There's a saying in Tom Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. He says this. Our eschatology shapes our ethics. In other words, you know, what we believe about the future determines the kinds of decisions we make about now, doesn't it? You know, for example, if we are gripped by a vision that the world is doomed from global warming and that with every little bit of eking carbon monoxide that comes out of our, 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 the back of our tailpipe of our cars, it's going to destroy the planet— We make a pretty big decision to change the kind of car we're driving, don't we? That's what's happening all over the world right now. As more and more of the case for the future of our planet gets developed, we're making different decisions now, back here, back here, back here, back here, to then inform the way we're going to travel. You know, when we see something for real, it changes the way we act now. And so it is with our faith. So it is with our faith. If we believe that the talos of the Christian faith is the good news that God's making all things new, then that changes the way we go about life right now. It's how we ch- it changes everything. It changes everything. And so we seek to be faithful with the decisions we make, the actions we take now towards that end. Which brings me to my last little pastoral word. Desire to embody that telos. Desire to embody it. So turn to it, seek understanding of it, train, be eager to train towards it, seek to be faithful in it, make sure that it's a faithful representation of that end story. Lastly, desire to embody it. And I love the scripture. It's from 1 Thessalonians 4. They say this, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Check out this next bit. Make it your goal. Again, time. Goal is a time thing, remember? So make it your goal. Imagine your life. Throw it forward and mark it by these metrics. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Why do I love that scripture? 
I love that scripture because if the future is God making all things new, that is the type of picture of our life to come. The embodiment of the future. Love. All is at peace. People are not jostling or competing for anything. And work is just beautiful and holy. And so if we are aimed at the future, if we're aimed towards the telos, that tells us that our life will grow in love, our life will grow in contentment, and our life will grow in satisfaction. What a beautiful vision. And now, of course, you know, we hold all of that intention with the fact that that's our future. But as I said at the start, we are very much grounded in the present. And in the present, we are still living in this fallen timeline. We're still feeling the repercussions of sin and the fall. Countries are still invading countries. Health battles are still being lost. Greed and power is still out of control. Relationships are still breaking down. Welcome to the timeline. Welcome to the timeline. But the future age of God whispers through. It calls and it says, come to something else. Come to where I'm making all of that new. And as the prophet said in Isaiah, there'll be no more need for tears. All will be well. Swords will have been beaten into plowshares. And a new city will be ruling. And it will be beautiful. And it will be glorious. No more famine, no more struggle. So amongst the cycle of brokenness we find ourselves in, let us break that cycle and let us become people who aim for the future. Aim for the future. Amongst the cyclical nature of our philosophical thought, let's become lineal thinking people again, like our Hebrew faith ancestors. And let us draw a line out and think of God's future as our end goal together. That's what I'm going to do every day. Strive and labor to see a church that's fully formed in the way of Jesus. Bit by bit, day by day. We're not going to get there like this. But bit by bit we will. And I'm asking today with this last of my heart talks that you would carry the same way. I want to invite you to stand and as we come to the God's table today, as we come to Jesus' table, we come to remind ourselves of a work that is being done in us, the work of redemption. And we are not there yet. But this meal is the entree to a great banquet. This meal is the entree to a great feast. And as we eat it together as the church, and as we eat it with the other church of the global church today, we remind ourselves of the story of time that God has, uh, 
has changed the ending of. And he invites you to eat this meal and to remember the future. The Bible is a book in time, of time, and about time. And this meal, this meal is in time, speaks of time, and about time. And as we eat it, we remember back to Christ, the Christ who broke the bread and offered the cup, blessed and said, eat this and drink this, to remember. Remembering is casting your mind through different times. Remember what Christ has done. If I could go back to that diagram, remember the crux of history where it changed, where the ages changed. Remember what Christ did as he ended the old thing and started something new. And then he said, eat it, drink it, remember me, and step into this new thing, this new covenant, having eaten it and drinking it, drinking it. Different people heading towards a different future. And so as we eat and as we drink today, we're eating and drinking a meal of time. And I want to just invite you just to reflect on that a little bit. I know it's easy sometimes to kind of think about the symbols and just be like, ah, oh, well, that's just some juice and a crunchy cracker. I want to invite you to, to see it as sacrament today. It is something uh, earthy and real, trying to teach you a sacred meaning. It's trying to open you up to something sacred in this moment. Just like our songs do, just like music does, just like words do. These are all forms of sacrament. And so we want to be able, be able to come to the table and to have a greater revelation of something sacred. And the greater reality that I want to invite you to today is to remember through time what Christ has done and to imagine forward of what he is going to do. And let us aim for that future together.